Yes, sir. Hi, and welcome to the Fred Bertelson Radio uh, Room. And this is our Thursday night get-together where we talk about old-time radio and play the uh, play an hour's worth of, at least an hour's worth of shows. And we're going to do that tonight in about 30 minutes. Joy Jackson will be with us to play shows, a recreation of one of the, the shows that she did. Uh, and uh, so before we do anything else, we will uh, start by talking about what is being heard on Yesterday USA and other places. Uh, same time, same station will begin on uh, Yesterday USA and other outlets beginning Sunday. And we're going to be doing Valentine's Day shows. Uh, we will do uh, Judy Canova's show, My Favorite Husband with Lucille Ball, Duffy's Tavern, and Family Theater. So a good mix of drama drama and comedy coming your way, and that's on a number of different outlets uh, for Yesterday USA and uh, here on Accessible World as well. Uh, tonight on Yesterday USA, uh, Walden and uh, Patricia do their normal Thursday night get-together. Tomorrow, Bob will be back with us again. No specific shows that we're playing that I'm aware of. Uh, and then uh, Walden and Patricia together together again on Saturday. On Super Bowl Sunday, uh, uh, yesterday USA, we'll have Perry Huntoon. Game should be ending shortly before he comes on if it all works the way it normally does. And so we will be doing Bing Crosby part, it's either four or five. Do you remember, Walden? I think five. I think it's five, yeah. So lots of good music and commentary from Perry. And that'll happen on uh, Sunday night. And yesterday, USA continues. Anything to, to look forward to next week, Walden? Well, tomorrow we have a guest at 3 oh, o'clock. Yeah, okay. We have Barbara Streisand's sister, Rosalind Kine, to be with us. And Saturday night, Johnny Helen will be with us to play trivia. And then next weekend is the Jack Benny convention. And so we'll probably start at noon on Yesterday USA. The feature some interviews from 12 to probably 4.30. The Jack Benny Convention will start Friday night at 5 o'clock on the 16th. It'll go to, to who knows when. Saturday, it will start at 11 in the morning. Now it will be on the blue until the wee small hours. And then Sunday, it'll start at 10 o'clock and keep going. And so... That's the big event for next weekend, the Jack Benny Online Convention, uh, February 16th, 17th, and 18th. And then on the next day, Monday the 19th, Doug Hopkinson will be here to talk about Boston Blackie, the current Kickstarter that they're working on. And they are so, about uh, 41% funded at the moment with about $23,000 so they got a ways to go but they're they're slowly moving up the, the pole toward the the $56,000 that they need so hopefully uh, got about 30 day, 33 days to go so hopefully they'll they'll make that and so that's what I have that's somewhat not too far in the future John but back to you by the way if you want to uh, take a look at the full Jack Benny schedule you can go up to the Jack, is it jackbenny.org? Correct, yeah.
and there's a link to the convention there, and right. they have the schedule up on that page. So if you kind of want to know what's going well, on for that entire weekend. Um, and they I, need to be updated, but pretty accurate at the moment. Yeah. And we can broadcast all of it this year, right? There were some right. things we yeah. couldn't do last year, but we right. can do it all this year. So right. we will. That's cool. Yeah, so we, you know we probably ought to find out who else is doing virtual conventions in terms of entertainment and see if we can broadcast those on Yesterday USA. Yeah, well, yeah, I eventually I wonder there. would the Bing Crosby people out do the meetings, I wonder. You know, that's something to think about, John. Well, I don't see why they wouldn't because they they wind up on YouTube anyway yeah. a day or two later. So right. oh, it's up to them. Have you guys reached out reached out to them? Well, we're we're both members of the organization, so we attend the meetings virtually. Yeah. Mm. Okay. They're based in England, so uh, so we attend. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that. Okay, I, I thought yeah. they were based here in the United States. No, no, the people oldest. from all over. They're they they're in Zoom rooms, but people are there from all over the world, but they originate in in the UK. So they're the oldest get, band club of a personality around started in nineteen thirty six. So, oh wow! Yeah, okay. yeah. And uh, Perry's really good about sending us the newsletters on a PDF right. format, and we we pay the normal thirty five dollars a year for dues as members, and he sends us uh, the newsletters which come out. I think it's three times a year. Right. And there's a lot of good stuff in there, and they're accessible. So, so if you if anybody is interested in joining, um, then let me or Walden or Larry know, and we'll be happy to give you the uh, the information in terms of how you do it. Yeah. Um, I think that's all the stuff that I have to plug right now with regard to radio. And so we can talk about whatever people would like to talk about. Uh, there is a new Interchantum show that has been oh, released right. this week. Yes. You might as well mention that, John. Really? I don't have the uh, page in front of me, but we could Yeah, I went we could put download. it up on the website. Yeah, it's, I it's on Joe's yeah, website. I downloaded it. I don't know if you've downloaded it yet. But I, I haven't had a chance to yet. I'm, yeah, it's I've been really meeting nice to. sound. Doug did is the it, transfer. And, it's, and is it Armed Forces a, or Network? It's Armed Forces. It's a 1948 broadcast. So that, that's the newest thing that's been released to the hobby that I'm aware of. So... We will, we should put it up on the uh, the radio the email list for people. Yeah, and probably should go ahead and play a YUSA sometime too. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, we should probably stick it on the US YUSA email list. That we, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it was funny because I, I was thinking about I think it was either this morning or yesterday morning or yesterday at some point. Anyway, I don't know why, but I thought about the not necessarily Jack Benny, but I thought about Dennis Day for whatever reason. Just that, I, um, just the fact that you know he had ten kids, and I'm. Mm -hmm. We uh, we've been uh, we've been in touch with the the family, especially the daughter. Um, you know they've lost some family members. That, you know not not none of the kids per se, but you know some uh, the the spouses, and so they haven't been too active the last year plus uh, because of that. But yeah, we've been in touch with with the kids, and we had them over at Reps. We had them at part of the Jack Benny convention, and we had Maggie on it 
YUSA. So they've been very good to us. Um, is there is there is there any of his kids that sound like him? Not that we're aware. Not, I mean, we are aware. Any of the boys? I guess if he had any yeah. boys to speak of. No, not, not the boys that we heard. I, not nobody somewhat close. But you know, Dennis voice dropped over time mm -hmm. too. You think about it. I mean. Well, yeah, of course. No, I mean it would. You know. Yeah. It, it was, he was what in his what twenties or whatever back in yeah. the yeah and, and fascinating because right now I'm pointing on yesterday from Benny show from forty one and his voice is so much higher and then you can tell by his late twenties it it's 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 uh, more it's more developed um, yeah. wouldn't you say John by the late forties but but when he spoke he spoke in a higher voice that wasn't his actual speaking voice. It was a lot, and, and he sang. He pro I, I'm guessing he probably sang uh, at least a you know a step or two above what happened later on when his voice did drop. They may pitched it down a bit for him. By the time he came to guest at Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters, he he had a vibrato you could drive a truck through. It was <laughs> you know wide because mm -hmm. he was older, mm -hmm. and he still sang very well. Didn't need a microphone. You could hear him all over the place. He had a big voice. And I understand he kept he kept going through the family. He kept it was important. He kept music lessons going in, in throughout his whole life. He was very conscientious that he didn't want to. He wanted to work on his skills as a singer all mm -hmm. the time. So yeah, yeah. So you, sure. so you guys, you John and and Larry actually got to meet him. Yes, we did. And we were going to have him on the air. Uh, I don't remember what year it was. Probably late nineties. Eighty-five, eighty-four, it, maybe something like that. Well, this this was just a few weeks before he died. He he. he died we'd, we'd agreed yeah. to get together and do a, an interview, and then he fell because he had a ALS, I believe. Right. What they call Lou, Lou Gehrig's disease, mm -hmm. where the muscles just just don't work anymore, and he fell, and he never really recovered, recovered from that. So but it wasn't when you guys, that he died. but when you guys met him, he he was he a nice man? Was he you know? Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, very nice. Had a lot of great stories to tell about working with Benny, and he did his own show, of course. Right, and, right. Uh, I guess right. maybe thirty or forty shows exist, but not in as good a sound quality as I'd like. I don't know where the discs came from originally, but they they could have done a better job of. Of dubbing them, and now I don't know where they are now, but I wish we had them in better sound. Did Don Wilson ever come to a PPB meetings, even though he lived out in Palm Springs, John? You remember in the seventies or so? Did he ever? Well, he may have, but not not one. I was never at one that he was okay. at, because um, we never met him. Right. Uh, he came into town occasionally because I know Chris met him, Lambesis. Okay, yeah. But we never did, and. He was around until the very early 80s, which was about the point in time where we started planning interviews for Spurdback. So right. yeah, we never he, got him. He died in 82, I think it was. Yeah, he, he did. And he was getting older at that point. So we never uh, – Chuck Shaden, I think, got him. Yes. And I can't remember now who else might have. Did you guys, did you guys get Frank Nelson, you fellas? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did a couple times. You know, he was terrific. He had a great memory for detail. You know, I I met him at the Spurback dinner at, at the Brown mm -hmm. Derby. I was a yeah. Uh, throw, yeah. Throw that in there uh, in, in, into your thing because that might be another 
that you that you fellas did. I mean, I, I think I've heard the interview with uh, Shaden and and Nelson and uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's it? What's her name? Uh, Viola. Viola Vaughn. Viola yeah. Vaughn. Yeah. But I, I'd like I'd like to hear you guys interview him and see what you know what. Well, one of the better ones is what at the '84 convention you had it at nine in the morning. Why did he do a Jack Betty Powell at nine in the morning, John? You remember? I don't remember anymore. <laughs> yeah, it probably would have been a bit. Well, like maybe we we thought that it would be a great way to get people there early. I but, guess so. But I in 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 hindsight, we should have done it later on because it was a really a major interview. But everybody full, was there. Everybody showed it, up. It, so I mean, it was a full room. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And of course, he did his whole, his whole yes and all that. Oh yeah, he he told lots of great stories. He was terrific, and we had him uh, at the suspense recreation where he he played a role. Uh, He didn't talk that much, a little bit, but. Well, he told some great stories. Hey, the dinner, the eighty-two dinner. Yes, he did. Yeah, Yeah, he did. Okay, so I wrote that down, and we'll plan that for a future event. Yeah, yeah, that would be that'd be good to, to hear. Uh, John I mean, Dunning did, did a good interview with him. Too. Yes, he did. Yeah, but that was over the phone, right? I'm assuming. Right. Yeah, uh, it was. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're, I like them. I like them, but uh, mm-hmm. I prefer like like the ones that that Shaden did, where he actually would go out there and and uh, you know, and the ones that you fellas did and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the neat things that happened as a result of a lot of us talking to him was that when the people from the Cinnamon Bear organization were looking for voice identifications. I mean, we'd help them out, but they also wrote to Frank Nelson because he, he was on the show. So he was able to help them out a lot. And he he, he even did a, a recording for them with some of his memories of, of the show, which we have. Huh. And now, as a result of those things and and some some work that Carl Shadow did here recently, we we have all of them now identified. And for a long time, we had we were missing a couple. So. So who who uh, who played the cinnamon bear? He was an a- I can't remember the actor's name, but we've got it written down. And that was yeah, one of the. Yeah, he was- that was one of the stumbling blocks for a number of years because nobody had his name, because he didn't. I don't think he did a lot of radio. Yeah. Other than that. Oh, no, the cinnamon bear was patio. Cinnam- was uh, Buddy. Yes. Duncan, was it? Buddy yes. Duncan. Very good. It, yeah. yeah. It was it was one of the twins. Jimmy Barton. Jimmy Barton that we couldn't identify for years. Yeah. Carl Shaw figured that one out. Jimmy Barton. Yeah. No, yeah. um, and the, and that, that individual didn't do a lot of other radio. So he, he wasn't somebody that we would have heard on other shows. Now here here's a here's a question out of left field. I, I know you guys have have interviewed a lot of the the Wixy the WXYZ or you know you guys have interviews with with a lot of the people. Did you guys or did you do you know of an interview with the character actor who portrayed King? Because I think wasn't that that was not, that was that was a guy right who actually did yeah. the. He did a lot of voices. I don't. I'm not. A, I don't remember any specific interviews that we might have done, and I can't remember now if he would have been maybe at Friends of Old Time Radio for one of their uh, Preston recreations. Could could be. I would have to check. Yeah, that that'd be another interesting character. I would like to hear hear about or hear you know anything anything of. 
I will I mean, have to check. Paul Paul Sutton is Paul Sutton and whatnot, what have you. But the guy who did King, I mean, he was he was amazing. Mm -hmm. If I didn't know any better, I would have said, "Damn, that's a good dog." You know, it sounds like a dog to me. Yeah, uh, I will uh, look to see. I don't. I, I I have a feeling that he may have been gone by the time a lot I of this started. He has. Yeah, I. Uh, Preston I think was there was other, Paul Connery played second and third dog, so you know we, mm -hmm. we know Paul. But we had different people playing. Sometimes they have more than one dog in there, especially the dog right. sweat shows and stuff. True. Well, the, the well-known king is not 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 the deeper king, not the, not not him, but the other one. The, right. Right. You know. Yeah. Oh. We are. At 17 after the hour, so we're 13 minutes away from joy. Anybody else have anything they want to talk about in terms of radio stuff? I don't know what to speak at once. <laughs> no? Well, I love it. I love it. I love picking you guys' brains. <laughs> hey, boy, you know, we're around. Might as well. I mean, you know. I never knew when I started. When I started in, in this business, in the in the you know, I was thirteen years old. I you know, Gunsmoke and well, I st I started out as a as a collecting the Lone Ranger and Preston and all that. But once I found Gunsmoke and Dragnet and all that and Benny, I'm like, yeah, okay, this is this is my thing. Yeah, luckily there's a lot of it out there. Uh, even more now. I mean, we for so many years we thought, okay, we probably have most of this stuff, and then surprisingly more stuff becomes available so we're still getting new things today from people who had it and from uh buying groups that have access to the recordings have anything ever surprised you john that what popped up over the years was there ever a, a big surprise to you i i wasn't i don't know if i've been overly surprised uh, i was surprised that there were as many Ranger and Preston recordings as as it turned out to be. So, did you know how much material you had to bring from the from the warehouse? Did you guys have any idea ahead of time until until you showed up and, and moved? No, up? I think I asked, and they said they thought there were about three thousand shows or discs. So that's why we backed up the trucks and came overly prepared because we didn't know for sure what we were going to have, and. I mean, good thing we did because were they in boxes already, or did you guys have to box them at the same time you moved them? No, we had to box them. They were not in boxes; they were sitting on shelves. So where is all that stuff at now? It's being it, it, moved it's, to Orange County in two weeks. It's in Whittier right now, but we're moving it to a, a climate control environment in two weeks. So that's that's. Uh, what are you guys going to do with it? Are you guys going to transcribe it? Or what What are you guys going to do with it? Uh, well, a lot of it already has been transcribed. Well, but. but uh, Corey Harker would like to like to see if we can do an upgrade. You mm -hmm. know, technology do change in forty years, so so Yeah, we got that in eighty seven. So that's thirty six years ago. Yeah. And and they did a great job pretty they much did. of it. But it can be improved. I would like to see us improve the Luxes because they just weren't done as well as I would like to have seen them. Problem is, now we're thirty six years later and some of those discs aren't usable oh. anymore. Walden left and said... I wonder if somebody came into his room. Yeah, I think his mom maybe might have come maybe. in. Maybe. Because I thought I heard... Either that or they're about to have dinner and they didn't invite us. 
Wow. That really is still well. I'll just take an Uber down there and see. Did you guys make me a place? You probably would too, wouldn't you? No, I would. I might think about it, but I wouldn't do it. So it is now uh, got 10 minutes 20 minutes I just, I just after, checked. so we got about yeah. 10 more minutes. If anything, anybody else has anything they want to talk about, we can do that, and then we have Joy at 30 minutes after the hour. Wow. Pretty quiet tonight for some reason. I don't know why that is. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Been that way for a few weeks now. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Maybe just people have other things going on or... Mm-hmm. Are you ready for Saturday, Mr. Braxma? No, but I will be. Okay. Okay. I just have to come up with something creative. Okay. All right. You're pretty good about that. I think so. I think it'll work out. It should. You're usually pretty good about it anyway. So. I try. Well, you know, it's more it's more fun if you wait till the last minute because it just you know, you the adrenaline starts pumping and you Well, it is and it isn't because then I'm scrambling, oh my gosh, so you get the program in the folder. Oh my gosh, you know, but anyway, yeah. yeah. The only bad part about it is it's tough to promote it if you wait till the last minute. No, I've got the promotion. I just haven't sent it out yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, you did generic promote promotion. Promotion, yeah, that's the word. So you know what you're going to play, you just haven't recorded it, right? No, I don't think he has any idea. Uh, no, I haven't. I, I'll, no, I, I, I kind of just do that all. I sit down and I just start looking at what I got. And, and I look around and I listen to things and then I go, ah, this would be great. And then I get all set up to record that and then I go, yeah, you know what? No, maybe not this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I look around at more things, and I go, "Look, Oops. what's this?" Sorry, guys. Hang on. Let me let me mute. I just uh, sometimes I just know, and sometimes I just bumble around like that, and then all of a sudden I go, "Oh, this is cool." And of course, none of us that I'm aware of ever write things down when you think, "Oh, that that would be fun to play." Well, you. I never yeah. do, and I'm starting to now, but I I haven't in the past like I should have. Yeah, it's. Um, you have to find. I, I wish we never got down. computers. I was fine with my Palm Pilot. Had my contacts, had my notes, had my calendar. It, it took all that and put mm. it into one thing, but it had a stylus, and once you learned how to write with the stylus it would automatically turn it into text and um yeah it was um i thought it was so simple simple at the time a little bulky it was the size of an iphone i still have it somewhere mm. i think joy yeah. was trying to say something go ahead joy you have to find where you wrote it down that's true i that's, that's why i thing. stick them in a i stick a folder together on my computer and I put all my notepad files in there with stuff that I plan on playing someday. Yeah, as long as you remember where you put all that stuff, you're okay. 
but I've got stuff all over the place too that I thought would be fun to play someday and now I'd have to go looking for it again. But there's some good programs out there that'll tell you what's on your drive. You just and so you can search for for them and it'll bring them up. I mentioned uh, the everything program. That's a good program, so The Everything Program? Okay. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, I can't remember who puts it out, but if you Google it, it'll come up. And it's, it literally uh, takes a look at your hard drive. And if you search for like Elvis Presley or, you know, whatever, Sergeant Preston, whatever, it'll tell you where, what, where the, what, what programs you have and where they're located on your, your drives. Oh, okay. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It is 25 after, so another five minutes or so, and then we'll begin with Joy. Five minutes. Five minutes. You got five minutes. Figure it out. I think Joy's going to run some ART stuff, some recreations, so sh maybe shows that don't exist in audio formats, which is always kind of fun. Oh, yeah. You give a voice to the missing shows. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, there are a lot of scripts out there, so you have a pretty good choice of stuff that you can pull from. And it's even interesting to, to, you know, to hear shows that actually have been recorded and then, you know, yeah. Yeah, and it's also interesting when you have a long run of shows, maybe in one, one or two are missing and the scripts exist, but the shows don't. So you can go back in and find out what happened in right. those particular shows. Right. And we've done that from time to time in serial type mm -hmm. forms. Yeah. But, you know, just as often it's, you know, the audio doesn't exist and neither does that specific script. And so, you know, you're stuck. Uh, a prime example is the very first Dragnet show. The script exists. But not the program. But, well, we have a feeling somebody took the audio program because this disc sleeve was there at uh. UCLA, but it was empty. So I suspect somebody's got it somewhere. I don't know if it exists anymore. But luckily, we, we've got the script. So we know what it was all about. We just don't have the recording of it. Hmm. Now, that would be an interesting thing for ART to do. The yeah, first, it probably would. The first Dragnet program. What do you think, Joy? Um, you, th you guys, you we, think you're you, willing you, to do it if we can get the script. Uh, we've got the script. Well, there you go, Joy. I don't know what condition it's in in terms of the, the PDF, whether it's l easily re readable or not. Well, but what, I can... what we do is we retype it. Okay. Well, we'll just send it to you, and you can play with it and see if it's something that you can do. That would be lovely. Thank you. Okay. Ah, see, I and I, and I can I can take credit for that. I say I hope both, I I I threw the bug in the ear. So there you go. 
That's perfectly fine. Just kidding. I'm not going to do that. A little less than two minutes to go. So. Well, I'm going to be logged in on the back room. Okay. Where I'm going to play it. Um, Mike, are you going to mute? You want me to mute people? Okay. Do you, which one do you want me to unmute, ma'am? The one I'm playing on is Joy Jackson 2. Okay. So let me mute everybody and then I'll unmute that one. But you have to, you're not back there yet, right? Only takes a half a second. Okay. 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 Because we're timing you. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me mute and then I'll unmute the Joy Jackson 2. Okay. All right. Okay, here we are. You want me to play? Loud and clear. We can hear you on that mic. Shall I wait another minute? No, I mean, I already muted everybody. You can go ahead. It's up to you, though. <laughs> okay, here we go. These are both recreations from some time ago. 2008, something like that. Um, and I think they're both lost shows. But I thought there, but once one in particular is a comedy. Here we go. Welcome to Treasures Old and New from ART. Hi, I'm Joy Jackson. You know, this week we celebrate Chinese New Year's, and it's the year of the dragon. So I thought I'd present a recreation of a lost old-time radio show called O'Hara, who is a foreign correspondent in Hong Kong. And he supposedly is telling true stories of a foreign correspondent whose columns appear throughout the world. Yeah, right. Here is the episode called Kowloon Hijack, and the foreign correspondent's name is Bob O'Hara. And this is February 8th. Now, the Lunar New Year is going to be February 10th. O'Hara. O'Hara, Hong Kong, to INU News Service, San Francisco. Have a lead on missing British transport plane. It's big. We'll follow up if interested. You'd better be. This freelance foreign correspondent needs rent money. Signed, O'Hara. CBS brings you O'Hara, a new series of adventures in the far places of the world. Stories of action and intrigue. Stories that lie behind the foreign dispatches. Tonight, a story titled Kowloon Hijack, cabled from Hong Kong by the freelance correspondent who signs his name... O'Hara. Freelancing news stories out of Hong Kong, or any place else, calls for more than accepting mimeographed handouts. I have to sell my stuff the hard way, which means get the background, the why of a story. Sometimes, the why isn't pretty. I'd left my hotel, the Far East, and was walking down Sing Wong Street to get some shrimp for breakfast. Sing Wong Street is narrow. 
stretch your arms, you touch both sides with your fingertips. It twists, jags, and cascades down to the bay where the Parisian grill has fine French fried shrimp. The British consulate is on the bay too. A good place for story leads if your shoes are shined. This particular morning I needed a story lead worse than I needed breakfast, so I went in. Yes? May I help you? Uh, nothing important. You're new here. Mm, comparatively so. My name's O'Hara. British? San Francisco. Oh, American. Uh, you'll have to excuse me, Miss... Uh, Miss... The little sign says Helen Buckley. I meant you'd have to excuse me for being a newspaper man. I'm used to reading print upside down. I couldn't help seeing that telegram on your desk. Oh? It's signed McLean. Could that be Freddie McLean, the American who flew with the RAF? Flies British transport now? That's right. You know him? We're old friends. Oh, really? Freddie and I have come to be quite good friends, too. Great guy, Freddie. Of course, he never wires me, but I can see why he wires you. We usually get together when he makes Hong Kong. He's coming in Thursday, huh? That's right. Say, I, I don't like to break in on anything, but... How about the two of us meeting him at the airport? Have supper on me. Rehash old times a bit. Looking for a story, Mr. O'Hara? McLean usually flies important stuff. How about it? It's a date? It's a date. Thursday night. And that's what put me at Kai Tak, the Hong Kong airport, on Thursday night. Helen Buckley and I stood just outside the waiting room in the night, watching wing lights blinking on planes. Arriving, leaving for every place, any place in the world. British Transport, Flight 709, arriving now from London, England. That should be Freddy's plane. It's taxiing in now. Let's wait by the gate. We watch the huge silver plane taxi up the gate four and the engines pop out. The official passengers began to disembark. Diplomats with briefcases chained to their wrists, men in uniform, nurses. Then we watched the crew come out. We were in for a surprise. Mr. O'Hara, where's Freddy? Not aboard, Helen. Something's gone wrong. Helen and I started across for the dispatcher's office. That's when I spotted an armored car with a couple of guards parked on the field. Alongside was a black Rolls Royce that I'd seen before. It belonged to the resident British Commissioner of the Constabulary, so I left Helen and walked up to Mr. Sidney I.E.R. Phillips. Well, oh hell. Hello, Sidney. Looks like you're hard at work. Armored truck, guards, just like the third man. Hmm? The third man? What's that? A movie. The one with the zither. You know. <laughs> Waiting for somebody, Sidney? I'm sorry, old boy. I wish I had time to talk. Uh, now, if you don't mind. Cool night, Sydney. But I'd almost swear those guards are sweating. You never sweat, do you, Sydney? Huh? Oh, uh, only rarely. Look, Commissioner, I smell a story. You don't break out the armored vehicles for nothing. Could it be that whoever or whatever you were waiting for didn't show? As you said, oh boy, it's a cool night. Oh, well. A lot of people have been disappointed tonight, Sydney. I've been stood up, too. Indeed. Well, 
Some girls are frisky. Only I was stood up by a guy. Name's Freddie McLean. He's a pilot. Whom did you say? Freddie McLean. Interested? O'Hara, do you have a car here? No. Good. Come along, then. We'll motor back to town in mine. Is that an order? Well, certainly not. But you will come. Anything you say, Sydney. We'll come. We? The girl over there. She's with me. Oh, hmm. Oh, lovely. Very well. A fetcher, O'Hara. We'll all motor back to town in my car. I fetched Helen, and we started back to town. I could tell by Sydney's attitude that something big was up. The ride was an ideal place to get the facts. Only Sydney had other ideas. By the time we pulled up in front of Helen's apartment, I told him all I knew about Freddie McLean. Helen had told him about the telegram, and in turn, Sydney had told us absolutely nothing. Ah, well, it's been charming, Miss Buckley. Why, thank you. Very pleasant, O'Hara. You're sure you don't want me to drive you someplace else? No, thanks. I'll see Helen upstairs and walk home. Uh, you're sure there's nothing else you want to tell me? Huh? Oh, not a thing. Ah, that is... Yes? That is, well, unless the gentleman lurking in the doorway across the way is a friend of yours, O'Hara, I'd walk home on the lighted side of the street... Ta-ta, old boy! By the time the car had pulled away and the British petrol fumes had cleared enough to look, there wasn't anyone in the doorway. But five minutes later, when I'd left Helen in her apartment, there was. A tan gabardine topcoat draped around a barrel built like a man with hanging jowls. When he stepped out into the light, he was too relaxed and pleasant, so I moved toward him. But he didn't like that. He moved fast, up an alley. And I was following fast when I ran into a brick wall. <clears throat> Otto, the gentleman ran into you. Pick him up. Yeah, Wilhelm, yeah. Up. Get your hands off of me, you. I'm terribly sorry. You were following a friend of ours. The man with the gabardine top coat? Oh, that's a bad question. Show him how bad, Otto. Yeah, Wilhelm. <coughs> What's more, Otto? Yeah, Wilhelm! <coughs> that, that, that will do, Otto. You executed my orders very well. I'm sure Mr. O'Hara understands now. No one helps you in the alleys of Hong Kong at night. I heard footsteps moving by around me before my eyes opened. I dragged myself out of the alley, finally managed to get a rickshaw boy to take me to the headquarters of Commissioner Phelps. Hmm. O'Hara! You lost, I see. Yeah, in the first round. The gentleman in the doorway, I presume. He had two playmates in the alley. Yes, well, perhaps you'd better sit down. Try this. No ice, of course. Oh, thanks. Oh. All right, Sydney. Let's have it. The gentleman of the doorway. You could identify him. If I saw him again. And the two in the alley? Too dark. Hmm. All right, Sydney. Now it's my turn. Your turn? I ask questions, you answer. There's a story in this, and I'm going to get it. Oh, 
I don't know. I do. I go to the airport to meet an old friend, and you're there with enough armor to outfit a division. My friend doesn't show, and neither does what you're waiting for. Then you drive me back to town to ask questions. Only you got cagey. Did it ever occur to you I had to check on Miss Buckley? Why didn't you tell me she was with the British consulate? You didn't ask. And you weren't telling me anything either. Only what happened to me in the alley has made me more curious. I want the story, Sidney. Off the record, O'Hara. I want the story and I intend to print it. Off the record? I and you will pay dough for it. Plenty, if it's as big as I think it is. Off the record, O'Hara. All right, all right. Off the record. Very well. Pour another drink and listen. Uh, pour us both a drink. O'Hara, what would you say if I told you one of our transport planes took off from Shanghai earlier today? Its destination, Hong Kong. Freddie McLean was the pilot? Yes, but the flight was to be most secret. Why? Uh, due to the nature of the cargo picked up at Shanghai, one million dollars in Chinese gold coins be brought for safekeeping here to Hong Kong. One million dollars. The gold coin has been hidden outside Shanghai since the country was overrun. It belongs to the people of China and was in trust of the Shanghai Banking Corporation. Now I see why the armored cars, the guards at the airport. We know the plane took off safely from Shanghai, but as you know, it did not arrive at Hong Kong. Didn't the plane have fighter cover? Couldn't risk it draw attention to our enterprise. No, we had to chance it, and like you, we've lost. Communication was broken somewhere over the China Sea. And so, O'Hara, you have a story you cannot use. A huge plane, Freddie McLean and two crewmen, plus one million dollars in gold coin. All gone, completely vanished. Now, do you wonder that you or I or both of us were followed from the airdrome tonight? Nasty business. No, oh, quite. CBS is presenting O'Hara, a new series of adventures of a freelance foreign correspondent in the far places of the world. O'Hara, the man who lives the stories behind the foreign news dispatches. Tonight, O'Hara is cabling from Hong Kong a story titled Kowloon Hijack. Well, that was the beginning. I spent more than an hour with Phelps looking through his rogues gallery of photographs. Nothing. None of them looked like the man I'd tried to follow. Phelps was stalling, talking too much for Phelps, but I couldn't figure why. Finally, I grabbed my hat and said goodnight. I went back to my room at the Hotel Far East to sack in, but when I opened my door, I got a surprise. I had company. The light of the hallway fell on a man in a gabardine topcoat. What? Before I could switch the lights on, the man banged by me and out into the hall. I started to follow. Then I remembered my experience with the boys in the alley, so I went back into my room. I checked. Nothing had been touched. Nothing. If Mr. Gabardine Topcoat was the crux of this story, he'd be back. I decided to let him bring the story to me, so I hit the hay. I slept. How long? I don't know. 
Then I was wide awake. Someone was leaning over me, breathing down into my face. Only it wasn't Mr. Gabardine Topcoat. Huh? English. Who? You, O'Hara. Yeah, I'm O'Hara. I, Mao, fisherman. So I notice. What do you want? I fish for liver or shark. I'm not in the market. English. I see more than shark in waters near Kowloon. I have this book. Huh? Let me see. It's an address book. I know read, but there is a paper folded. My address and phone number. Body of Adamin. Body? Is he dead? No. He was a flyer. Even so. Freddie McLean, where is he now? You friend? Yes, I'm his friend. Can you take me to him? Even so. Uh, wait a minute, Mal. I've got a phone call to make. Helen? O'Hara, listen, I haven't much time. Something's happened. It's about Freddy. Freddy? I can't explain it now, but I don't want you to worry. I think I know where he is. O'Hara, he's... There's a fisherman from Kowloon here. I think he's got Freddy under wraps. Where? I don't know. I'm going with him now. Did you call Phelps? There's a story in this. I want to get it first. But if I don't come back, you'll know what to do. O'Hara, I, I don't like this. I'm not wild about it myself. Wish me luck. All right, Mal, let's go. I followed the fisherman to the sprawling warehouses along the Hong Kong docks. His fishing junk was small, old, and carried the black sails of the shark fisherman. Mao wasn't young, but his muscles were. He loosed the hawsers and hoisted the small black squares of canvas. We set sail across the bay to Kowloon on the mainland. Kowloon, still mandated to the British, or should I say just in British hands. We reached Kowloon just as dawn was trying to push through the fog. Mao slid the skittery fishing junk alongside a jutting, broken-down pier, evidently abandoned. He made fast, then beckoned for me to follow along the shoreline. In a few minutes, he stopped and pointed to a sagging fishing shack. I went on alone. The fishing shack seemed deserted. Quiet. Too quiet. The weather-beaten wood of the door stood between me and what was inside. It was too easy, but I went in anyway. It was dark inside. No movement. Then I saw the figure of a man on the bare floor. Freddie McLean. His left shoulder had been caved in by a bullet. Oh, 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 O'Hara! Oh, O'Hara! Oh, oh, Can you sit up? The, the fisherman. Uh, he, he, he got to you? Yeah, he got to me all right. A trap, huh? No, no. no I, I sent him. I, I had to uh, trust someone. Needed help. What happened, Freddy? I, I, I can't, can't tell you. It's a secret. Look, look. Phelps told me about the Chinese gold coin you were flying out. What happened? We, we picked up the gold as scheduled. Everything was going all right then. Fighter plane forces down. Fighter plane? What kind? I, I, I couldn't believe it. It, it, oh, it couldn't be. What kind? What kind? Uh, a Messerschmitt O'Hara. Messerschmitt? German? You must be wrong, Freddy. No, no. I couldn't mistake a Messerschmitt. He started firing, firing on us. I knew what he was after. Over the shallows, I, I had one of my crew open the hatch. We jettisoned the 
cases of gold. Did he see it? Uh, I don't think so. He flew us into the ground on an old airstrip. We crash-landed. Two men came. I was the only one still alive. Only, only one who knew where the gold was. Wait, wait, wait. Two men? Think, Freddy. Was one of them called Otto? Otto. Yes, Otto. O'Hara, listen. Down by the docks. Someone's coming. Someone was coming, all right. And so was an idea. I found myself remembering a news item I'd read a month before, and suddenly the whole story was beginning to make sense. We listened as the footsteps came closer. From the look in Freddy's eyes, I knew what he was thinking. It's all over now, O'Hara. I can't understand how, how, how they got onto this. I'm sorry to tell you this, Freddy, but you gave it away. I, 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 I did? The telegram you sent to Helen. A telegram? But I didn't send any telegram. What? You're sure? It, 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 it was too important. I, I, I wouldn't... Somebody uh, did. But, but, but who? And more important, why to Helen? Why to Helen, Freddy, unless... O'Hara! Helen! Where is he, Wilhelm? And here am I, General. And the newspaper man, too. Yeah, this way, my dear. You too, Otto. Wilhelm. Yeah, Helen. I'm sorry, O'Hara. We each choose our own way. I won't be relaying your message to Commissioner Phelps. No, I don't suppose you will. No wonder Mr. Gabardine Topcoat was outside your door. Ah, uh, yes. It was unfortunate that you noticed me. But permit me to introduce myself. I am Herr General von Kleitel of the Luftwaffe. Yeah, Herr General von Kleitel. He goes with a worn-out Messerschmitt. Shall I silence him, my general? No. You are an interesting man, O'Hara. Go on. Okay, I will. Along about 45, a lot of you boys in the Luftwaffe flew your ships out of Germany to save your necks. You, von Kleitel, flew east. Made your headquarters somewhere in China. It's not a small world. For six years you've been hiding out. You and Wilhelm and Otto here. Maybe more of you. But that's expensive. The way you like to live costs money. I'm used to the finest in food, art, and women. Sure. Enter Helen. I don't know how you met her, but it was bound to prove convenient. Working in the British consulate, she found out about the gold shipment. The when. The where, everything. She knew where the information could be used. And, my general, I even know why you felt safe in poking your head up after all these years. So? A news item I've had at the back of my mind. One month ago, March 20th, 1951, all German soldiers who have remained unreported were declared officially dead. Ah, but we are safe, Mr. O'Hara. Are we not, Wilhelm? Otto? Yeah, yeah, mein General! They were safe. There wasn't much question about that. But from the way Otto grasped the handle of his Luger, I knew what they had in mind for Freddie McLean and for me. I had to think of something fast. Then I happened to notice Wilhelm. 
He wasn't looking at me or his general. He was watching Helen. It gave me an idea. Not much of an idea, but worth a try. You have a question, Mr. O'Hara. Yes, there's one thing puzzles me. What is that? Von Kleitel. Von Kleitel. I covered the Nuremberg Trials. I don't remember anyone mentioning a General Von Kleitel, or that anyone was even looking for a Von Kleitel. That will do! My General, if you will give me the order... Order? How can he order you around? He's no General. Uh, he's not a General? Look at him. He's just a man. Not much of a man at that. Don't be a fool, Wilhelm. It's a trick. He's lying. Oh, am I? You. Otto, wiping his shoes. You, Wilhelm, taking his orders all these years. I'll bet you outrank him. I was an Oberleutnant. Sure, sure, you outrank him. Look at him. Look at his face. It's a lie. I am a general. Even Otto here, he knows better. No, no, don't listen to him, Otto. He said he was a general. This is ridiculous. I have papers. Oh, who doesn't? In 45, you could have picked up Hitler's credentials beside a hole in the ground. Enough. I could have had a command. You can still have command, Wilhelm. And don't forget, the gold, too. What do you think my general was going to do with you when he got his hands on that? Spread the wealth? Fine. Sveinhund, I... Look out, general! I am... <laughs> You were a little previous with the Luger, Otto. My general was not going to shoot me. He was about to shoot Mr. O'Hara. However, I am now in command. Miss Buckley? Yes? You will follow my orders now, as you followed his. Quite the contrary. Phelps! What? I'm afraid you're wrong. So tell your man to drop his pistol. Drop it! Otto! Do, do as he, he wishes. Phelps, I love you. Really? <laughs> then, perhaps you'll retrieve that pistol, O'Hara. As I recall, you're quite agile for a newspaper man. Also a little confused, Commissioner. H how did... Let's go out to the boat, shall we? I'll attempt an explanation there. I hope you don't mind. Mind what? Water's a bit choppy. Well, that about wrapped up my story. We headed back to Hong Kong. A British salvage ship was sent after the gold, and Freddie McLean was taken to Victoria Hospital to have his shoulder dressed. Helen Buckley and the two bully boys made the lockup. My general's return to life had lasted maybe 10 hours, and I went back to the office of Commissioner Sidney I.E.R. Phelps, who plugged in his hot plate and brewed some very strong oolong tea. More tea, old boy. You should make coffee on that thing, Sydney. Coffee? No subtlety in coffee, O'Hara. Tea? Coffee? That's the difference between us, Commissioner. One lump or two. <laughs> All right, Sydney, let's have it. Whatever made you go to that fishing shack? I thought I told you. You know you didn't. Then, let me show you. What's that? A gramophone. Listen. There's a fisherman from Kowloon here. I think he's got Freddy under wraps. I don't know. I'm going with him now. My conversation with Helen. You had her phone tapped. Uh, yours too, you know. So that's who I saw in my hotel room. One of your men. 
I thought it was the man that turned out to be von Kleitel. Oh yes, that von Kleitel thing. He was a general. Or wasn't he? Well, I had to try something. He was a general, all right. Three governments have been looking for him for years. Well, I always say, it doesn't pay to aspire to high places. Getting back to that wiretap, what else did you hear on Helen's phone? Rather not talk about it. Always dislike eavesdropping on telephone conversations anyway, especially those of young ladies. It's usually so... stimulating. <laughs> like tea, Commissioner? Huh? Oh, yes. Or coffee. Okay, San Francisco, that winds up the Kowloon hijack. And tell INU to hurry my check. If I don't pay my rent soon, I'll have to cable my next story from the Sidney Phelps lockup. Signed, O'Hara. You've been listening to one of the lost old-time radio shows recreated by American Radio Theater. It was directed by Joy Jackson. In it, you heard Greg Porter as O'Hara, Cole Hornaday as Commissioner Phelps and Von Kleidel, Marge Lutton as Helen, Pat McNally as Wilhelm and Freddie McLean, Julie Hoverson as Mal and Otto, live sound effects by Penny Swanberg, music by Kevin McLeod, www.incompetech.com. This script dates from April 7, 1951. The original radio broadcast starred Jack Moyles in the title role and Byron Kane as Commissioner Phelps. Dick Arant composed the music for the original broadcast, and this script came from his hand. O'Hara was written by Gilbert Thomas from an original story by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman. I'm Joy Jackson. This is ART, the American Radio Theater. So that was Kowloon Hijacked from O'Hara. We finish up with a remade episode from Blondie called Eggs. No, it's not about the Easter egg fiasco. This is set in a store. We had fun doing it. American Radio Theater presents a retelling of Blondie, program number six which originally was broadcast on August 7, 1939. The quality cigarette every smoker can afford is the cigarette of long-burning, costlier tobaccos. Yes, that's Camel. And there are millions of Camel smokers to tell you that no other cigarette gives the same marvelous combination of smoking pleasure at its best and more smoking per cigarette. That extra amount of smoking in camels is confirmed by recent impartial laboratory tests of 16 of the largest selling brands. By burning 25% slower than the average of the 15 other of the largest selling brands tested, camels gives a smoking plus equal to five extra smokes per pack. And it's mighty nice to get extra smoking when it's topped off with the superb aroma and delicate taste of Camel's costlier tobaccos. Not to mention how much cooler and milder a Camel smokes. Any way you figure it, Camel's are your shrewdest cigarette buy. <laughs>
And now let's have our visit with Blondie and Dagwood. We find them this evening in the shopping district. Blondie has been to a lecture this afternoon, and Dag took her to dinner at the Hideaway Tea Room. They're just leaving the place now, and here they come. Why, it's nice to eat out for a change. I had such an appetite. Let's walk along the street before we start home. I had an appetite, too. I still have. Oh, I thought it was a lovely dinner, dear. Yeah, but those tea rooms put lettuce in everything. Even my apple pie had lettuce in it. Now, Dagwood, if you had your way, you'd eat nothing but meat and potatoes. You have to have greens, too. Oh, I felt like a tame rabbit, sitting there nibbling lettuce with all those women looking at me. That's because you were so handsome, dear. Yeah. Uh, uh, I like women all right, but too many of them make me nervous. Why, at the lecture today, the audience was all women, and Mr. Frothingham Fairforth didn't mind a bit. He just half-closed his eyes and talked about the exciting things he had done. Well, what had he done? Oh, he'd escaped from cannibals and shot lions and lived on pemmican for days and days. Oh, so that's why you asked for pemmican in that tea room. Well, I just wanted to taste it. I guess it would taste pretty fishy. They live on fish, don't they? Who lives on fish? Pemmicans. Oh, no, dear. Pemmican is dried meat mixed with raisins and things to make it more nourishing. You take it on safari. Take it where? On safari. That's an African word, too. It means when you go on a long trek in the jungle or somewhere and can't carry much food. Pretty nourishing stuff, eh? Well, uh, remind me to get some next time we go to the delicatessen. Oh, I don't think they'd have it. It's just for he-men like Mr. Frothingham Fairford. I guess there wouldn't be much call for it in our neighborhood. Listen, Blondie, don't run down our neighborhood. I bet that guy Frothingham just made up all those stories about eating pemmican and shooting lions and cannibals. Oh, no, Dagwood. He had such lovely, honest eyes. And he was all sunburned. Uh-huh. Dagwood, don't you want to hear about the exciting things the man did? Well, go ahead if you want to. Let's walk along, though. All right. We'll window shop as we go. Oh, look at those cute hats. Come on, dear. You've got a hat now. Happy Times Hat Shopping. I must remember that. Rothingham Fairforce says the African women don't wear any hats. I know. They don't wear stockings either. You don't have to go to Africa to find that out. Why, Dagwood, I think you're a little jealous of Mr. Frothingham Fairforth. I am not. But when a feller's wife comes home all excited about some phony like that... Why, Dagwood Bumstead, he's not a phony. He's missed death by inches a dozen times. Too bad. Wait till I tell you about the time he saved all their lives. Listen, he was going along with his natives... And all of a sudden, they came to a donga. A what? That's where lions hide, in a donga. So he stepped in front of this donga, and you know what he said? Sure. He said, don't go any farther, boys. That's not a bit funny. No. He said, wait, boys, I smell something like a lion. Did he admit that in front of all those people? Don't be vulgar, Dagwood. He just knew there was a lion in that donga. So he raised his rifle and fired just once then walked right into that lion's den. And what do you think? I think he was crazy. I mean, what do you think he found? A dead lion! How long had it been dead? What? Oh, why, he had just shot it! He said it was the biggest lion ever shot in Africa. Some lion. <laughs> hey, hey, did you get that? You're as bad as Mr. Fuddle, laughing at your own jokes. Oh, look! What? Look, in this window, 
a picture of Frothingham Fairforth autograph. Mm, needs a haircut. See, there's a copy of his book, The Joy of Danger. I wonder if all those guns in the window are his too. Nah, they belong to Boomer Grundy and Gretch, the people who run the store. My, I never saw so many guns. Sure, this store is the biggest sporting goods store anywhere, I guess. Everything from a cap pistol to a cannon. That's their slogan. How did you know that, Dagwood? Oh, I, I used to trade here. You did? Why, what did you buy in here, Dagwood? BB shot for my daisy gun. Why, I never knew you even handled a gun, Dagwood. Well, just because I don't go around writing books about it or selling tickets to hear me talk about myself. Did you ever shoot anything? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> no lions, of course. Just a uh, smaller game. What kind of game? Uh, nothing much. Forget it. Uh, uh, oh, look. There's something Baby Dumpling would like. That huge thing? Why, he couldn't carry it. No, not the shotgun. I, I mean the water pistol right underneath it. Well, I don't know. He might go sporting it in the house. Well, a boy ought to learn how to handle a gun early. You don't want him to be a sissy. How old were you when you did your hunting, Dagwood? Oh, about seven, I guess. My goodness, that was young. Well, the Bumsteads were all born hunters. My great-great-aunt on my father's side married a famous hunter, too. Ever hear of Daniel Boone? Why, yes. Did she marry Daniel Boone? Oh, not exactly. But she married a man that did business with Boone all the time. He sold them those coonskin caps he wore. I've always wondered about those hats. Why did they always have a little tail hanging down behind, Dagwood? Well, to keep it out of their eyes, I guess. Look! See that white hat in the window? That's a court helmet like Frothingham Fairforth wore on safari. It's romantic looking, isn't it? Hmm, it'd be hard to keep clean, though. Like white shoes. What did you used to wear hunting, Dagwood? Overalls. It was dirty in the barn. Oh! Did you do your hunting in a barn? Well, yeah, mostly. That's where the game was thickest. Now, what kind of game could anyone shoot in a barn? Well, I, I shot roaches. <laughs> oh, Dagwood. All right, all right. But it's harder to hit a running roach than a sleeping lion. Don't forget that. Now, I guess it would be. Yes, sir. A good, lively roach is a tough target, especially with just an air rifle. Oh, that's what you hunted with. I was pretty near a dead shot with it, too. I bet I'm still a good shot. I had the chance. I don't know what the neighbors would think, Dagwood, if they saw you creeping around with an air rifle. Oh, an air rifle is just for kids. <laughs> well, of course, I'd take a bigger gun now. Not one of those terribly big ones, Dagwood. Well, no, not the biggest ones, of course. There's one in the window would be a nice size for you. Well, that's a 22. What's 22 mean, Dagwood? Why, uh, that it's 22 inches long. Uh, would you mind if I went in the store and looked around, Blondie? Why, no, dear. I'll come with you. Oh, uh, <laughs> never mind, then. Why, Dagwood, you wouldn't be ashamed to have me with you, would you? Well, it's not like we're buying my suits, Blondie. I don't think men take their wives along when they buy things in a men's store like Boomer, Grundy, and Gretsch here. 
But you're not really going to buy anything, are you? I thought you were just going shopping, like I do. Well, would you like me along when you were shopping like that for, well, women's things? Oh, well, I'll walk back to that little happy time hat shoppy. You go ahead and have fun looking around in this store. But don't buy anything, mind. I'll just price that water pistol. Just price it. All right, Daniel Boone. Be careful in that revolving door. Don't be long, dear. Bye. Sure, sure. No, I won't. Bye. Pardon me. C could you tell me where the water pistol department is? No. Oh. Well, c could you tell me who could tell me? No. Go away. Now, listen. I don't think a clerk ought to talk that way to a customer, even if I am only pricing water pistols. Neither do I. If a clerk talked like that to me, I'd report him. Well, then why don't you, uh, what? Is it possible, my misguided young sir, that you have mistaken me for a clerk? Well, well, aren't you? Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. My poor young friend, do you know where you are? This is Boomer, Grundy, and Gretch, where the clerks are trained to hide from customers. You couldn't walk up to a Boomer, Grundy, and Gretsch clerk and speak to him as you just spoke to me. It isn't done. Well, thanks. I'll, I'll just wait then till, till a clerk shows up. Ah, but it isn't as easy as all that. No, mercy, no. Well, I'll get the hang of it after a while. What do you do if you, if you want to buy something here? You pretend to be interested in something else. That way the clerk who sells what you do want may glide by. I've known it to happen. Is that why you're looking at this case of bird's eggs? They, they are eggs, aren't they? The most amazing collection of rare wild bird eggs under one roof in the world. Are you an ornithologist, my young friend? No, we, we stick to our old family doctor. You don't like eggs? Oh, I've got nothing against them, I guess. Shun them, young sir. Turn away your gaze. Refuse to fondle them. Once you become an egg addict, you are lost. Look at me. Why, you look all right. Do eggs bother you much? They are my life. As a boy, someone gave me a robin's egg. That was the beginning of the end. I got a second egg, then a third, and so on. Soon I thought of nothing else. I wanted only eggs and more eggs. Can't you buy them if you want them? Ha! I have bought them. I have the second finest collection in the world. If I had one more egg, it would be the finest. Gosh, can't you afford to buy one more egg? Afford it? Certainly I can afford it. I am... Shh. Well, I'm not saying anything. Can anyone hear us? I... I don't think so. Then I'll whisper my name to you. I feel I can trust you. Well, thanks, uh, but... Yes, you have an honest face. It reminds me of the whistling finch, a splendid bird. Come closer. I, sir, am McIlvane Q. Gorb. Gosh, the multimillionaire? Yes. But what are millions when I can't buy the world's one perfect egg? But, but why can't you buy it? With all your money? Because the vipers who operate this store won't sell it to me. 
Boomer, Grundy, and Gretsch are egg collectors too. If they sold me this, then I would have the best collection. Look, here comes a clerk. Keep my secrets. Let me have a few moments' peace gazing at this perfect specimen in the case. Pretend you want to see it, then lure the man away. Well, I... Gosh, I'd like to help you, sir, but... Quiet! Here he comes. Ah, uh, uh, good afternoon. Uh, there he goes. Stop him. Uh, pardon me. Uh, quite all right. Something you require, sir? I'd like to look at some, uh, eggs, if you don't mind. I'm so sorry, but, uh, eggs. Uh, no, not my line, you see. I'm in the firearms department. Oh, oh, you sell things for uh, hunters and explorers and people like that. I display our line, sir. The most complete in the world. Occasionally a sale is made, yes. Well, then, uh, maybe we could do some business. I'm in the market for some uh, pemmican. Pemmican? We don't stock it regularly, but I could take your order. You want enough for your next expedition? Oh, well, I, I just wanted a sample to begin with. Of course. Men like yourself, whose lives depend on the quality of the pemmican they carry, can't be too careful. A step this way, sir. Psst. Don't let me down. Make him show you the egg. Oh, which one? The only one worth looking at. That one. Gosh, you mean that big egg mounted on white satin, like a, a diamond or something? A diamond? No diamond can compare with that egg. Don't you know what that is? Well, it, it, it's a pretty color. That, sir, is the egg of the pink-nosed plover, the only one of its kind outside the British Museum. And theirs is much smaller. That is the coinor of eggs. I must touch it just once. Make him take it out. Uh, here you are. I thought you were coming with me. Well, the fact is... I just got interested in that uh, egg, the one on the white pillow. Hmm. Yes, an interesting item, they tell me. Let's see. Valued at $12,500, but it's not for sale. Oh, I wasn't going to buy it. But my friend here, Mr... Brown. Fred Brown. Yes. Uh, what? Oh, oh, yes, Mr. Brown w would like to see it. I really shouldn't take it out of the case, uh, but for a big pemmican buyer like yourself, Mr... Uh, Brown, or er, er, Bumstead. I mean, uh, Dagwood Bumstead. Ah, you celebrities, always going under assumed names to avoid publicity. <laughs> but you can't fool me, Mr. Brown. Yes, an honest name, but Bumstead, <laughs> obviously invented and hastily invented. Now listen. Oh, it's all right. I'll keep your secret, Mr. Bumstead. <laughs> Are you going to let me see that egg? Well, certainly, Mr. Brown. Here it is. Be careful, won't you? The pink-nosed plover is extinct, you know, and the egg is very rare. Please don't lift it from its resting place. Uh, now, Mr. Uh, uh, Bumstead, <laughs> uh, come this way. Well, if you, if you haven't any... Uh... Pemmican? Our pemmican department is at work on the matter, but I have something new I want you to see. A sportsman like yourself will be fascinated by it. Oh, I can't wait to show you. 
Well, uh, let me guess what it is. Is it uh, a water pistol? Oh, dear me, no! Imagine a man like you buying a water pistol. <laughs> Quite impossible. Well, I... Maybe I'm not as much of a hunter as you think. A man who asks for pemmican? Oh, my dear sir, I wasn't born yesterday. Now, don't be insulted, but do you ever shoot a small game? Well, I... Uh, I used to years ago as a boy. Oh, of course. Uh, anything smaller than a grizzly would be child's play to you now. But we do have a grizzly rifle that I wanted you to see. A cute little thing. It's a 45 caliber with compensating telescopic sights and a water-cooled barrel. Priced at $450, without silver mountings, of course. Oh, sure, sure. I don't care for silver much. In fact, I couldn't use this gun at all. No? Well, I thought perhaps just for the fun of it, you might pot a grizzly now and then. Mr. Frothingham Fairforth bought one of these today. That phony? What did he ever shoot? Oh, come now. He may not be in your class, of course, but he sometimes brings in a fair bag. That uh, moose head on the wall is one of his specimens. He dropped that moose at the age of 10. It's been on the wall ever since, one of Boomer Grundy and Gretch's landmarks. Well, I've seen bigger, or uh, meese, than that. Well, not much bigger, surely. I, I don't mean to contradict a sportsman of your standing, but I've always been told that that moose has the largest antlers ever brought back to civilization. Brought back? Yeah, but, but when I was 10, I didn't even bother to bring back my uh, game. I just left them there where they fell. Dear me. Haven't you anything bigger than a grizzly gun? Sir, Boomer Grundy and Gretch have everything. Now, here's a number you might like for rhinoceri. A 60-60, double-barreled and hair-triggered. Seconds count when a rhinoceros charges. Gosh, it's heavy, isn't it? I was afraid you'd say that, but... We found that we can't risk a lighter gun when the ammunition is so powerful. But look at this cartridge. Gosh, that's a dandy, all right. With that cartridge in the gun, and the gun in your hand, you can face anything that walks. You are ready for a life-or-death combat with nature in the raw. Well, I like my nature just medium-rare. <laughs> I can see this is the gun for you. Slip the cartridge into the loading chamber. Here. See? Simple, eh? Never jams and never fails. The chamber takes eight cartridges. Oh, here, put in another. Oh, boy. What this would do to that moose. I knew you'd like the feel of that gun. Uh, try its balance. Yeah. Yeah, uh, pretty smooth, all right. Oh, let me adjust the sights. There. Now, Imagine that moose were alive and charging. You raise the gun. Yeah, yeah. Coolly you take aim. I got a beat on him now. Goodbye, moose. Just a little push on his trigger and... The moose! Gone! The plate glass window blown to bits! And you, you, Bumstead, where are you? Down here where the eggs used to be. Good heavens, man, get out of those eggs! I'm coming. That, that gun knocked me over. 
where's the plover's egg? The pink-nosed plover's egg. You're, you're sitting on its white satin pillow. I, I, I'm afraid I'm, I'm sitting on the egg, too. I can feel it. A $500 window. An $800 moose. A priceless egg. All ruined by your reckless shooting. You'll have to pay, Mr. Bumstead. You'll pay for this naughty prank. Whatever price you pay for your cigarettes, it's important to remember this fact. Impartial laboratory tests show that by burning 25% slower than the 15 other of the largest selling brands tested, slower than the average of any of them, Camels gives a smoking plus equal to five extra smokes per pack. Smokers who live in communities where certain state cigarette taxes are in effect can save the cost of the tax, and in some instances more, through smoking Camels. If you live in a community where there are no added taxes on cigarettes, the savings are all yours, plus the extra pleasure you get in every puff of Camel's finer, more expensive tobaccos. Penny for penny, Camel's are your shrewdest cigarette buy, the quality cigarette every smoker can afford. Now let's hurry back to the establishment of Boomer Grundy and Gretch, where we left Dagwood surrounded by the wreckage of his unlucky experiment with high explosives. Outside the shattered window, a gathering crowd is held back by police. Inside, Dagwood rises from the ruins of the rare bird's egg to face Mr. Gretch. Now then, now then, get up, young man. Get up, I say. Oh, yes, sir. I am. See, see it was like this. I was just sort of holding the gun, and it went off. I am aware of that, painfully aware of that. The whole town is aware of it. For the first time in its history, the premises of Boomer, Grundy, and Gretsch have been made the scene of disgraceful notoriety. That will have to go on the bill along with the window, moose head, and the priceless egg of the pink-nosed plova. Well, but that man shouldn't have handed me the gun. Where did he go? The unfortunate Mr. Bunworthy has retired with shattered nerves. But I am here. I am Phineas Gretsch. Well, I'm pleased to meet you. I'm sorry that I can't say as much for you. I am not at all pleased. The only thing about you that can give me the slightest pleasure would be a glimpse of your checkbook. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but my wife carries the checkbook. Then send for your wife. Well, she's probably out in that crowd. They won't let her in. Muldoon, open the door. Admit a Mrs. Uh... Bumstead. Dear me. A Mrs. Bumstead. Uh, yes, sir. So, at last, Gretch, you show your true colors. You employ assassins to shoot me down as I leave your store. What's all this? Who is this man? Stop that in broad daylight. I have witnesses. Stop dancing that wretched rigadoon, sir, and explain yourself. We opened the door to admit this man's wife, and you come in roaring like a gorilla. Explain? You explain. 
let your hired desperado explain. Mr. Bumstead is not employed by me as a desperado or otherwise. He is in fact considerably in my debt. If you too have been damaged, he will have to make good your losses too. More bills. Blondie! Hey, Blondie! Dagwood, let me in! Let her in, Muldoon. Just have her make out a check for, let's see, plate glass window, moose head, assorted eggs, and the priceless egg of the pink-nosed plover. I'll have to total this up. And what of me? My car at the curb, a riddled wreck. I suppose, Gretch, that you and your snipers regard me as a clay pigeon? No, no, I'll fix everything when my wife gets here. Hey, Blondie, hurry! Oh, Dagwood, what are they doing to you? I'm doing to him? Look at me. Look at my store. Look at my husband. Why, his hair's all must and there's eggshells all over him. Blondie, shh. Exactly, madame. Very valuable eggshells. Dagwood, who are these people? Why, uh, this one's Mr. Gretch, and this one is, uh, I forgot his name, but he's an egg addict. Now, Dagwood, just tell me what happened. Well, see, I came in, sort of, and looked around, and all of a sudden I, I thought I saw a clerk, only it wasn't, and, and it was this man looking at eggs. So, so the clerk belonged to the gun department and didn't sell eggs, but, but the one on the white satin pillow was worth a lot of money. So he took that out for a while while I looked at the guns, and then it went off. You fired it off. Well, I, I didn't know it was loaded. Who loaded it? The clerk. Who handed it to you? The clerk. Hmm. Where is that clerk? He has retired with a headache. Oh, I see. He gets my husband in trouble and then sneaks away. Nothing of the sort, madame. He will appear at the proper time to testify against your husband. Unless, of course, our little bill is settled without further delay. Yeah. Blondie, what are we going to do if this got out at the office? Yes, I know, Dagwood, but how much is this little bill? Here it is, madame, itemized. One plate glass window, 20 by 30. Hmm. Do you mean to tell me that that window wasn't insured? Why, uh, well, naturally, we carried insurance. Then go collect it. That item comes off. Now then, one moose head. Moose head? Where is it? It used to hang on that wall, madame, a priceless decoration. It had hung there ever since Boomer Grundy met Gretsch. It must have been pretty shopworn then. Let me see it. it. This lady seems to be quite earnest. I I don't think I'll press my claim. Oh, don't go, Mr. Uh, what's your name? I want to talk to you about eggs. I'm not in the mood. Oh, but you're an expert. If you leave, I'll call the police to hold you as an expert witness. Here's the uh, remnants of the moose head, all that's left of a magnificent specimen. Look at the horns, biggest ever mounted. Mount them again, then. What's this? Uh, that was the creature's eye, madame. It's nothing but glass. Well, well, sure, Blondie. The moose was stuffed, you know. And look how it was stuffed. Common cotton batting, and all dusty, too. Very cheap. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I've been shopping before, and look at this glass eye. Why, there's a flaw in it. Hmm. Yes, I admit that. 
And what's this? That was the animal's beard. Moose have wonderful beards. This one was the longest and finest. Yeah, he's right, Blondie. I never saw one that long before. Nor anyone else, Dadwood. Why, this isn't a moose beard. Now, Blondie, let's be fair. We don't know a moose beard from a false mustache. But I know dyed squirrel tail when I see it. That's what this is. Ah, the great firm of Boomer, Grundy, and Gretsch tricked out their trophies with false hair, eh? I recall now that the original was uh, shot away. So that would make a nice item for the papers, unless... We'll forget the moose head. Thank you. That's two items all settled. Now, about eggs. Eggs? Oh, I can't bear it. I'll have to take my leave. But this is just when I need you. I need you too. If you are an egg collector yourself, I'll need you to convince this lady that the eggs were not the 35 cent a dozen variety. What I want to know is just how they got broken. Your husband has sat on them, madame, with great force. Nonsense. Dagwood doesn't go around sitting on eggs. Only hens do that. Well, I'm afraid I did this time, Blondie. It was the recoil of the gun. It, it knocked me over. Where are those eggs you sat on? The remains are mostly still attached to your husband's uh, trousers, but here are the price tags. How do we know the tags go with the ones that are broken? Why, no court could separate these bits of shell. Madame, I am not interested in the lesser eggs, but the value of one egg is beyond dispute. Here is a telegram offering $12,000 for it. We refused. Now the egg is gone. Smashed. Useless. Can you prove it? This time I can. Here are pieces of its shell. Any egg collector could recognize them. The color, the patina, the luster could only be that of the pink-nosed plover's egg. Is that so, Mr. Uh, you? I'm afraid it is, my little lady. And you call yourself an egg expert. Why, this piece of shell looks like an Easter egg to me. In fact, I've dyed better Easter eggs for baby dumpling. I am insulted. I will go. No, you won't. You were around when all this was going on, and you'll just stay until it's over. Get out of my way, young woman, or... Listen, you. Don't talk that way to my wife. I don't care if you're a millionaire or not, or how much you know about eggs. You can't talk like that to Blondie. Thank you, Dagwood. Is this man a real expert? Oh, he said he was. He said his name was... Gorb. Say... Gosh, I remembered it. Gorb. Not McIlvain Q. Gorb. Yeah, that's it. Ha, Gorb. This begins to look fishy. Why? What do you know about him? Silence, Gretch. Be careful or I'll sue. I'll, I'll spread the story of the false moose beard from Alaska to Rangoon. Well, I'll just say that Mr. Gorb is a wealthy but eccentric man. Does he dye Easter eggs? No, no, Blondie. He collects eggs. Hmm. I think he collects them in funny ways sometimes. What do you mean, Blondie? <clears throat> I'm not sure yet, but I'm sure of one thing. This piece of eggshell is dyed. I guess I know dye when I see it. Look, it goes right through the shell. A fake. Boomer, Grundy, and Gretsch were trying to sell a fake. Nonsense. The name of Boomer, Grundy, and Gretsch is... Is an awful mouthful. 
Go on, Blondie. Detect some more. It isn't necessary. I know what happened now. Gorb here planted the imitation, um, which was broken, and took the real egg of the pink-nosed plova. That bulge in his pocket. Hold him. I got him. Blondie. I've got the egg. Here it is in this box of cotton wool. The real one. It isn't broken at all. Thank you. I, I'll take it. Oh, thank heavens it's safe again. I'm beaten again. Um, see my attorneys, Gretch. They'll pay, as usual. Thank you, Mr. Gorb. You're letting him go? He's a very fine man, really, and very um, wealthy. He just has a weakness for eggs. Gets them by fair means or foul. Foul? <laughs> I wish Fuddle were here. Why, then, Mr. Gorb is a, a, a kleptomaniac? Yes, but only for eggs. Say no more. I'll pay everything. All damage. Charge it to me. But keep my secret. We will, so long as Dagwood is out of trouble. He is. He is. In fact, the entire rare egg world owes him a debt. His timely shot has saved the pink-nosed plova from the clutches of Gorb. You remember my warning, young man. Keep away from eggs. Avert your eyes. Never touch the dreadful things. They, they, they grow on you. If only someone had warned me when, when I was young. Poor feller. Well, come on, Blondie. We might as well go, too. Wait, Dagwood. You've had a lot of trouble, too. And Mr. Gretch said he owed you a debt. I do. I acknowledge it. Uh, what did you come in to look at, Mr. Bumstead? Why, uh, a gun. A uh, kind of a gun, anyway. Of course. You were examining this 66 rhinoceros rifle, weren't you? Take it with the compliments of Brumer Grundy and Gretch. I will have your name engraved on it. Well, gosh, thanks, but I don't meet many rhinoceroses, and... And uh, we haven't any place in the house for that terrible thing. Then what would you like? Anything in the store. Just name it. Well, wait till I whisper to my wife. Uh, whisper to Eh? All right, if you really think it's the best. Have you decided? Yes, sir. I think we'll take that water pistol. It's for baby dumpling. <laughs> And so we leave Blondie and Dagwood until next Monday when we invite you to listen again to new adventures of this family made famous by Chick Young's popular King feature comic strip. Blondie and Dagwood are played by Penny Singleton and Arthur Lake. Watch for their new Columbia picture, Blondie Takes a Vacation. You'll enjoy them on the screen, too. The makers of Camel Cigarettes, who bring you Blondie over the air each Monday, have two other radio treats over the air this summer. Tomorrow night, over these same stations, Bob Crosby and a sensational Dixieland band with Johnny Mercer. On Saturdays, over another network, Benny Goodman and the world's greatest collection of master swing musicians brings you tops in swing. That's for your radio pleasure. And for smoking pleasure at its best, try Camels, the cigarette of costlier tobaccos. Penny for penny, Camels are your best cigarette buy.
American Radio Theater has presented a retelling of an episode of Blondie, originally broadcast on August 7, 1939. Our version is produced and directed by Joy Jackson. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. In our cast, you heard Pat McNally as The Voice, Dean Moody as Goodwin, the Camel Cigarette Spokesperson, Mary Moore Campagna as Blondie, Dan Schindler as Dagwood, Greg Porter as Gorb, Chuck Royalty as The Clerk, Dave Lease as Gretch. I'm your announcer, Holly Chaffin. This is ART, American Radio Theater. So that was an episode from Blondie that we call Eggs. Ah, gee, that's all the time I've got for today. Please stop by American Radio Theater's website, americanradiotheater.org, and check out some of our other podcasts. We put up a new one every month. Hey, see you next time. Bye. And there you have it. Put everybody to sleep. No, I'm here. I didn't go to sleep. That was good. Appreciate it. Bob's muted. And Glenn's muted. Yeah. No. Yeah, those were good. Were those recent productions? No. Um, one was uh, 2008, and the other one was uh, two th- uh, 2021. So is okay. the lady, the one that did your last announcing, uh, besides you, I mean, of course, uh, is she still around or is she, she has a Holly. pleasant... Holly is still with us. She's one of my primary actors. Okay. She, she sounds very pleasant. Yeah, she she frequently ends up uh, holding down the announcer job when I uh, have a cast that is short on women's roles. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the first one was early on in our existence, and that's why my voice was on it as an oh. announcer. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, that would make sense. You guys were just barely starting out at that point, I bet, huh? Yeah, we were. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to go back and touch base with those people, those things. Oh, that's what this is for. That's why we have these these, uh, nights. So people can enjoy it's old time radio but it's actually new time radio because you guys are redoing it so yeah it's it's a hybrid kind of thing it's old time radio scripts that were once um available but you know with the recording missing you really have to listen to the script and uh, that's why we do it speaking of scripts 
Peg Lynch posted on the Old Time Radio Researchers Facebook page. Oh, yeah? She posted a link to her website, which contains all her scripts. Why does that name sound familiar? Peg um, Lynch. Yeah. Little Things in Life. The show that, uh, that Rick always plays. Yeah, but I thought she was no longer with us, right? Yes, I know. She died two or three years ago. But it's oh, probably well. coming from her um, daughter. Oh, okay. Ah, okay. So where did you see it, um, Bob? On the Old Time Radio's Researchers um, Facebook page a few days o ago. OTRR, uh, Joy. It was okay. posted by Peg Lynch, so I guess they're still using her. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll I'll have a look. I'll have a look for it. Yeah, it might be something in there that you might. <clears throat> it's interesting that she's posting it. Daughter, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't click on the link. Um. To check out the web page, but. I mean, I like Peg Lynch's stuff, but, uh, you know, the the scripts are such that without Peg Lynch, they're not as funny. Yeah, no doubt. She was really a funny lady. And yeah. uh, there was one show, um, Ethel and Albert is the main um, sequence. Peg came up to Seattle for a reps um, convention and she was doing the role in the in the show with um parley bear opposite her and i've never heard anybody do those better parley oh, well. bear was magnificent miss him but we have recordings of that so it's all there oh so you met parley bear oh yeah several times when, when the Reps Radio Convention started in uh, 1995, there for four or five years, all of those people were still with us and came up to Seattle. We had quite a crew. Well, I'm sure you guys did. A lot of them guys are probably still with, you, with, with us at that point. Yeah, there was a lot of them there. But, you know, they all kind of frittered away as we all got older mm -hmm. yeah well it's the way of life i guess yeah yeah it's one of those things enjoy them while they're here because you don't know how long they're going to be mm -hmm. that's for sure it is what it is it'll be what it'll be well, I was looking at cookbooks during this, this broadcast, so I'm going to go in the kitchen and do some cooking. Oh, okay. Well. Thanks for listening. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Well, what do you think, sir? I don't know. I don't know if anybody, is there anybody else here? 
And if they are, they're on mute. But it's up to you, sir. You call it. No, oh, it's still pretty early, eh? Yeah. You can. Where's Where's Brad and the usual? Uh, Brad said he wasn't going to be here because he's got something else going on. I'm not sure what he's doing. Hmm. They're still recording. Oh, I can I can kill it. That's a problem. 